Coronavirus cases on the rise with more challenges ahead for Indiana hospitals. We'll talk with HHS Secretary Alex Azar about the hope on the horizon with the coming vaccines. Plus, Indiana Senators Todd Young and Mike Braun on the push for more economic relief and the controversy over the presidential election. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning. We start with the coronavirus crisis and the concern about that post-Thanksgiving surge in cases. Indiana hospitals already getting overwhelmed as the holidays continue. We're seeing hospitalizations on the rise in our state. Zach Myers starts us off with a closer look at the impact here in Indiana. According to data from COVIDTracking.com, Indiana has the nation's second highest per capita rate of COVID-19 hospitalizations, second only to South Dakota. I think we're on the brink of not being able to safely take care of patients. Johnson Memorial Health President Dr. David Dunkel says his people are struggling to keep up. 14 of the hospital's 22 special treatment rooms are occupied by COVID-19 positive patients. At one point last week, 19 rooms were occupied. From the outside, you can see where some of the converted COVID treatment rooms are. The vents on the window are retrofitted there so that they create a negative air pressure. The air from the inside is pumped to the outside. We have space. We could shut down surgery completely. We have rooms there, again, that we could put patients in if we had to, but we don't have the staff to take care of those patients. 22 Johnson Memorial employees are out of rotation in quarantine right now. That's stretching the staff thin. We have people that have been great. They've picked up extra shifts. They're working longer hours than normal, but people can only be pushed so far. Keeping the patients in high spirits has been a hard battle just because, you know, people want to see positivity and that we're gaining ground. We've tried planning, preparing, and there's really no more preparation you can do. We just take it day by day. So then you start looking at other avenues. Can we get in some temporary nurses, agency nurses? But again, there's a shortage. I mean, hospitals are getting hit all across the country. All right, that was Zach Myers reporting. Zach, thanks. Today we are also talking one-on-one -on -one with Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. The Indiana native has been on the front lines of the federal response to COVID-19. Now he's talking with us about the vaccines, the presidential transition, and more. Here's Kelly Rinke. We would be able to get moving very quickly towards that goal of our, our governors working with us to get as many as 20 million Americans vaccinated by the end of this year. On December 10th, the FDA will have a committee meeting on the Pfizer vaccine and Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar says it could grant authorization within days of that. Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine is about a week behind Pfizer, with a hearing scheduled for December 17th. What we've said is by the spring of, of next year, we think we'd have enough vaccine for every American who would like to have it. A recent Gallup poll shows less than 60% of Americans say they would take a COVID-19 vaccine, although this poll was conducted before the companies announced their high efficacy rates. What's your plan to get the message out there to encourage Americans to get vaccinated? Well, first, let's note that's a significant increase in terms of vaccine acceptance from where it was just a month ago. And so that number is spiking up quite rapidly. And I think it's spiking up because we've demonstrated politics plays no role in this vaccine approval process. A CDC panel now recommends that healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities should be the first to get vaccinated. Indiana's plan mirrors this guidance. We'll get them in. They'll get vaccinated. We're going to direct them down to an auditorium where they'll wait for about 15 minutes to make sure they're doing fine. IU Health Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis will be one of the first sites in the state to administer the shot. They're going to be asked to register 
and scheduled their second dose, which is depending on which vaccine, anywhere from a 21 day or 28 day um, after the first dose. It's another tool on the front lines as COVID-19 hospitalizations in Indiana have more than tripled in two months. My hope is that we'll see a fairly fast impact in terms of protecting some of our most vulnerable. Are talks underway yet with the Biden transition team? Oh, yes, yes. We, uh, we began uh, talks. So GSA made the ascertainment, I believe it was uh, the Monday of Thanksgiving week. And uh, already on Wednesday, we had convened uh, a briefing session for the Biden transition team on Operation Warp Speed. I participated in a, uh, in a transition briefing with their team uh, uh, just, I think it was on Monday on their CDC, on a CDC team briefing. Uh, so those are well underway. I have committed that we will ensure a professional uh, and cooperative exchange with the uh, with the Biden transition team. Dr. Atlas's departure, what is your reaction to his resignation? And also, do you feel his tenure on the task force was beneficial or harmful in your opinion? Uh, well, we've appreciated many voices. The president gets many scientific advisors. What I've done as secretary is make sure that he has access to all of the great public health scientists and doctors that we have here at my department. And he's assembled others like Dr. Burks, Dr. Atlas at the White House to get advice. And really what the president and the vice president do is they hear from many voices um, and they sit uh, with a broad perspective over the entire economy, uh, over the health system, uh, not just infectious disease, but thinking about all the impacts in our healthcare system. For instance, people not getting elective procedures or cancer screenings or childhood vaccinations, all of that has to be balanced as part of the, the broader perspective that our global leaders bring to the table. And the president, vice president, I appreciate a multitude of voices. More specifically to Dr. Atlas, though, he was a controversial character. So do you feel he did more harm than good while in the task force? Uh, like I said, uh, we appreciate many different voices. Uh, we don't want monolithic views. We want to want to hear from all perspectives. Everybody's got important contributions to make. That's why we that's why we set up these processes uh, that we have uh, many different views, competing views, robust discussion, robust debate. And at the end of the day, the president's in charge and he'll, he makes the call uh, based on the different inputs that he receives. All right, Kelly Rinke there with HHS Secretary Alex Azar. By the way, we could learn this week who President-elect Biden will nominate to be HHS Secretary in the new administration. Also today, we're hearing from our elected officials in Washington on the push for additional coronavirus relief with a possible short-term compromise now in the works as restaurants and other businesses continue to beg for assistance from Washington. People are hurting. Um, they're beyond frustrated with this whole exercise. Republicans have put forward a package that, as the leader has emphasized, can actually be signed into law, one that provides assistance to schools and students, one that provides assistance to our hard-hit small businesses, uh, one that provides additional resources for testing. So uh, why don't we go ahead and pass what we can all agree upon? All right. In a statement on Twitter, Congressman Andre Carson said it's clear Hoosiers and all Americans need much more assistance during this challenging time. He said that's why I continue working hard to pass additional bipartisan stimulus bills that protect our health and safety, jobs and well-being. This week, we also heard from Senator Mike Braun, who says some sort of relief package is needed. I think it should, because uh, I, I believe there's still businesses that uh, are kind of disjointed from the whole challenge of it uh, in Indiana, particularly. Uh, you've got sports and entertainment venues, downtown hotels, airlines across the country. 
restaurants that haven't been able to adapt to um, the spacing in a takeout form. Now this week I also asked Senator Braun about the controversy involving the president's continued efforts to challenge the election and this impassioned plea from a Republican election official in Georgia. This is the backbone of democracy and all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner, even while many key states were still being counted. It looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. And you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. None of us uh, is going to be for uh, that kind of rhetoric that initiated that response. So I don't disagree with what he said at all. Uh, that's uh, carrying it too far. Uh, if you're worried about election integrity, uh, you should be doing it in a methodical way. Uh, let the president pursue, as he has the right to do, any irregularities that he sees. Uh, that uh, goes, I think, up until December 14th. He's acknowledged then that he'll accept whatever the Electoral College does. That doesn't mean this stuff goes away. Now, this week, Braun also wrote an op-ed detailing some of the irregularities uh, the president has tried to reference, many of which have already been debunked. Indiana Democrats responding, calling Braun's op-ed un-American. They said Senator Braun is, quote, not only endorsing debunked conspiracy theories, but chucking the Constitution out the window, in their view, to keep his politics in check. They call it performative politics at its worst. We're going to talk with our panel about that up next. Plus, three former presidents promise to publicly take the coronavirus vaccine on camera to ensure public trust. We'll talk with one of our panelists, a Hoosier who worked for former President Bush after the break. And the Indiana impact of the coronavirus crisis. We'll talk with our panel about the personal impact and the possibility of more shutdowns in the future after this. Three former presidents are volunteering to get their COVID-19 vaccines on camera. Former presidents Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton say it will help prove that the treatment is safe and effective. A Gallup poll last month showed just 58% of Americans are willing to get a COVID vaccine. Now that is up from earlier this year, but health officials have said at least 60 to 70% of the population needs to get the vaccine to achieve widespread herd immunity. Let's bring in our panel right now, and we start with former communications director for the Indiana Republicans, Pete Seat. Pete, you worked for former President Bush. What's the impact here, do you think, in terms of getting people to trust these vaccines? Well, you know, public service is in the soul of the Bush family. So I was not surprised to find out that President Bush kickstarted this conversation by reaching out to doctors Fauci and Burks to ask how he could help. You know, some people, the skeptics out there are going to want to hear from celebrities or athletes to finally get the vaccine. And some people will need to hear from these former presidents and just imagine the image if they are able to be in the same room at the same time getting inoculated. This is all hands on deck. Everyone needs to get the vaccine and this will make a difference. Yeah, that, that'll be a newsworthy moment for sure. Let's turn to Jennifer Wagner now, who served as communications director for the Indiana Democrats. I want to get your thoughts on how we're doing as a state and a nation right now fighting this virus. And unfortunately, you know a little bit about that firsthand. We're, we're glad you're back and glad that you're feeling all right. 
Well, thanks, Dan. It's, it's great to be back. This has been with us for about the past month in our household, and um, it's pretty telling. We all had it fairly moderately, but it affected us all very differently. Um, and I know, obviously, there's folks, uh, Abdul has lost loved ones to this, to this virus. And I think it's going to be critically important as we move forward with the vaccine and the distribution that, you know, whatever messenger it takes to get someone to go and get vaccinated is just going to be hugely important um, over the next three to six months if we want to get everything back on track. And again, so glad you're doing all right. Certainly, we know that's uh, not the case for everyone who comes down with this virus. As we turn to our friend Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org, we've been thinking about you this year as well. Your family sadly knows uh, firsthand the impact this this virus can have. Uh, yes, I lost my father uh, back in uh, July uh, to the uh, coronavirus. Actually, it was more the, the complications due to the coronavirus because my father had diabetes. He was also African-American and over the age of 84. So it's important uh, that we realize, you know, the, those folks in nursing homes, our frontline workers, that those folks are first in line uh, to get our to get a vaccination. Also, I think it's important too that teachers uh, also be vaccinated uh, as well, whether it's you know middle school, elementary school, college, uh, you name it. Teachers need to be vaccinated uh, as well. And like I said, to, to, re to repeat my good friend Pete C here, it literally is uh, all hands on decks, and and the and the vaccine deniers seem to go somewhere and sit down and be quiet for a while. Well, and we may hear, you mentioned teachers, we may hear more from Governor Holcomb next week about exactly who's going to be getting the vaccine here in Indiana and when. Finally, let's turn to Indy Star columnist James Briggs. You wrote recently in The Star that in your view, it may be time for another shutdown in some places. Yeah, I think it's a question of what the strategy is right now. If the strategy is we're just trying to run out the clock until the vaccine comes, I guess that's one way to do it, but it just seems like things are getting a little bit too urgent right now to let it play out that way. In particular, you're seeing in Indianapolis, schools are closed again and have gone virtual. You're starting to see hospitals stretch their limit. And that seems to be a place where I'm not sure we can make it a couple more months, even though I've heard an aggressive timeline where maybe even by May, 70% of the country could be vaccinated, or at least those who want it. Um, but waiting until May under these conditions will lead to a lot more deaths. We just passed 6,000 deaths in Indiana, had the deadliest month of the pandemic uh, in November. And I think what Governor Holcomb's doing right now is sort of a patchwork of uh, local policies across the state is not going to move the needle much. I'm glad that he did move off of stage five. I'm very glad that he uh, implemented a mask mandate back in July. Some of his Colleagues uh, across the country did not. Some Republican governors have changed course and done that recently. But I'm just not sure Indiana is doing enough to really change the course right now. And I, I, I don't think we're close enough to the vaccine to just ride it out. So I'd like to see more. Okay, let's uh, change gears here now. Uh, James, you've also been writing this week about the Republican reaction to the president's efforts to challenge the election. We heard from Senator Braun earlier. Uh, what do you make uh, of the response from some Republicans like Senator Braun? Yeah. I'm not one of those people who thinks that Republicans should be out there criticizing President Trump every time he says something inflammatory or does a bad tweet. I think uh, people who expect that are being unrealistic. That's counterproductive. But this is not a bad tweet. This is the president of the United States actively trying to overturn the result of an election that he lost. Uh, specifically, he has tried to halt uh, vote certification in six key states. He has failed. Most of his lawsuits have failed. It's very clear that Joe Biden is going to be the president January 20th. Senator Mike Braun knows that. Senator Todd Young knows that. But yet Senator Braun in particular uh, this week came out fairly forcefully indulging uh, President Trump's fantasy of voter fraud and saying that he's going to wait until December 14th when the Electoral College uh, 
casts its ballots and makes it official. I'm not sure why we need until December 14th. We know the result now. And every day that we wait right now is just um, contributing to a substantial percentage of Americans who believe that this election is being stolen through fraud. Uh, I think that is corrosive to our democracy. Okay. It's going to result in people having less trust for future elections. It's going to open the door for uh, bad faith actors in the future to try to pull the same stunt that President Trump is right now, except perhaps with a little bit more competence. And I think anyone of power, such as uh, Senator Braun, Senator Young, needs to be out there assuring Americans that this election was fair. Okay. P Pete, how do you want to see your party position itself right now in the midst of all this? And is this hurting your effort at holding the Senate down in Georgia? Just because we know the result doesn't mean election fraud is not real. And I think that's where we're missing the point of what Senator Braun was talking about. You know, Democrats claim that there is no such thing as election fraud, and Republicans say it is widespread and in every nook and cranny of the country. The truth is in the middle. And you can look right here in Indiana, 2008, Barack Obama should have never been on Indiana's ballot because of fraudulent signatures in St. Joseph County. County. It actually does happen, and we need to pay attention. We can't just move forward and say, okay, the election's over. Let's, let's pretend everything was perfect. It was a fair election, but there are still irregularities that should be addressed. Okay. Jennifer, your reaction to that, and amidst all of this, what will the inauguration be like as we transition to a new president here next month? Well, not to parry and thrust too much with my good friend Pete, but uh, there was also a presidential candidate a few years back who didn't even, you know, make the requisite number of ballot signatures to uh, to get on the ballot here in Indiana, uh, and uh, you know, y'all let him on anyway. So um, I don't disagree that there's an answer somewhere in the middle, but this is not a partisan issue. Um, I have to say, these maybe it's just because I did have COVID and spent most of my time sitting on the sofa behind me, but this last month has been so much more relaxing in politics because. We all know the outcome, to James's point. We all know that Joe Biden is going to be the next president. And watching Donald Trump flail about and file these frivolous lawsuits, it's frustrating, I suppose. But because we know the outcome, there is a sense of peace, at least you know, in the circles that, that I'm in, that, okay, yes, we have a few more months of distraction, actually, what, 46 more days of distractions. And then finally, both the grown-ups of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party can okay. come together and hopefully find some compromise, some collaboration, and some peace. Okay. Uh, Abdul, quickly here, I'll give you the last word. Uh, what might this next month and the new year bring? Well, hopefully uh, it'll bring some sanity, uh, and you'll have a president who will not be on Twitter every five seconds. That is one thing I'm looking uh, forward to. Uh, number two, I'm also looking at the rise of the centrists, uh, particularly in the Senate. Uh, your Lisa Murkowski's, your... your uh, uh, the senator from uh, West Virginia uh, kind of coming together to sort of maybe sort of run the show. A lot of uh, perhaps bipartisan lawmakers trying to get together on that relief bill right now, too. Our thanks to the panel. They'll be back in a few minutes. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, Abdul and I taking part in a discussion this week on the media and the impact misinformation has played throughout this pivotal year. Stick around. We'll be right back. From the coronavirus to the elections, we've heard a lot this year about misinformation and the effect it could be having on our country. With the rise of social media, it's prompting a larger conversation about the role of the media and the information we all consume. Abdul and I took part in a panel discussion this week with fellow InFocus panelist Alexandra Hudson and management from the Indianapolis Recorder and IBJ to talk about the role the media plays in fighting against misinformation and elevating our public discourse. I think people just 
run with. They just see it and they think they don't really spend much time thinking about, okay, is this true? Where's it coming from? They don't think about the veracity of what they're reading. I think that's something that we're all grappling with as, as users of the different media that are available today. And my feeling is that we're beginning to get savvier, all of us are, get, are beginning to get savvier about what's uh, being put on the internet or put on our, our phones and, and brought to us and, and that we are, are many of us are, are doing the extra work that it takes to dig and find what the source is. Uh, is it a trusted source? Is it real journalism? Is, is there uh, a organization that is known and has a sense of integrity behind it? Now, this discussion was all part of a partnership between the Harrison Center and Sagamore Institute to examine civility and political dissent in our democracy. We've posted a link to that discussion on our website. Just click on In Focus. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. You can catch the Colts today on CBS4. The Colts Blue Zone pregame show airs at 11.30 right after Face the Nation. Then the Colts and Texans kick off at 1, followed by the Eagles and Packers. Fox 59 as the Rams and Cardinals at 4 o'clock. All right, time to wrap things up now with this week's winners and losers. Abdul, I'll start with you. Uh, my big winner is the judicial system. Uh, it turned back another frivolous uh, Donald Trump lawsuit, so uh, I'm all for that. And my biggest losers are the Trump campaign lawyers and, and Sidney Powell. They're like 1 in 39. They need to just call it a day and go home. Jennifer. Well, I don't often get to speak for my friend Pete, but I know he had to uh, to run. So his winner this week was uh, Elanco and the deal that uh, the IEDC uh, made with the city of Indianapolis to keep that headquarters here in Indiana. Uh, my personal winner is actually uh, going to be my soon-to-be 13-year-old daughter who turns uh, 13 on Thursday. One of the kindest, sweetest people you'll ever meet, and I'm so grateful that she's going to be entering into an era of politics, hopefully marked by civility and not raucous discourse. We wish her a happy birthday, no doubt. James, you get the last word. My winners are six wonderful colleagues at the Indianapolis Star who are leaving this month because they've taken buyouts. Uh, Steve Berta, Eric Dick, uh, David Lindquist, Ginger Rowe, Vic Reichart, and Tina Swearens. Uh, they are some of the most talented and generous people I've ever gotten to work with. And the losers are all of us who will yeah. miss them dearly. We wish them all the best. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.